Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Ned Bolting. Welcome to The Roadbook, part of the Never Strays Far family of podcasts in which I'm joined by David Miller and we never stray far from talking about road racing. That's the theory. This is the recording. You're the audience. I see no reason for any further delay. Let's get this podcast done. Roglic then back at the Madonna di San Luca in Bologna. He won the opening time trial here at the Giro d'Italia. He went on to claim victory overall at the Vuelta. And here he is looking to sign off 2019 in style. He takes the Giro dell'Emilia all on his own. Roglic attacks. No one can answer him. He opens up a huge gap. He looks around. Full time gives up. Moscon can do nothing. And Roglic makes it two out of two in Italy. He takes Clay Valley Malazine. And he is on some form. Well, Ned, what on earth is going on in Italy? It's been really, really good, David. I've really enjoyed watching it. I saw a little bit of, um, well, the two races you just heard a tiny bit of commentary from there, Giro dell'Emilia and uh, the Tre Valli Varizene. Um, and they've been really good. I've really enjoyed watching the races. Uh, we spoke about it, didn't we, with Matt Rendell the other day. But, David, um, it's kind of lived up to its billing. Yeah, it has. I mean, these races have always been, they're, they're sort of hidden in the calendar to a certain degree where a lot of the momentum has gone from the majority of the peloton, but also the, the fans, if you will. And yet these races exist and they're fantastic races. And uh, for many years, they, they, they did really hold a, a classic status. And although they still are, Milan Torino, which is happening today, is one of the oldest bike races on the calendar, 1876. So, you, you, there is a, a, a pedigree and a history to the races, and yet they, they remain, oddly, a little bit unknown. I love it. You, you, we were just talking before we started recording, David, and you were saying with our podcast energy, we're, we're attacking the, the, the fag end of 2019 season with an absolutely outrageous vigour, aren't we? When everybody else is beginning to flag, we're just coming into our own. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true, to the degree where I'm just signing up to start watching bike races. I think that's brilliant. Something Oh God! I know the <laughs> the truth is revealed, but it's uh, but no, it is, I, and it's it's worth it as well because you do. I mean, the fact as as we heard from your commentary there, Roglic, it's this is a, a an affirmation for him. This is something that it it goes to show that he he won the Vuelta in a very controlled manner. Manner, but the way he can then come to these one day races, uh, highly competitive, fought over one day races, and dominate as he has in these first two is. It's a uh, it's a brilliant stamp authority, and and I tell you what, David, I didn't see much of the victory in the Giro dell'Emilia, uh, except but uh, except the distance that he won on that climb up the um you know the uh, Madonna di San Luca, uh, but but I did watch uh, in much more detail the uh, Tre Valle race uh, the other day, and it was hilarious. So I don't know if you followed that one or read the reports, but Luis Leon Sanchez did a classic Luis Leon Sanchez attack. <coughs> sorry, oh, about 25 kilometers to go. And he, he built up a, a lead that was around about a minute. And then a group of, uh, 
really, you know, big hitters started to work together and bring him back. And they got to within about 15 seconds with about 13 kilometers to go, I think. And they were reeling him in. And, and one of them was inevitably going to win when they got to a roundabout. And, and uh, there was a bit of crap marshalling. And the TV motorbike that was in front of that second group just went straight on. And they all followed the TV motorbike. Turns out it was the wrong way. So that was the end of that. So that was the end of that move. Um, and they all went back into what remained of the peloton. And then Luis Leon Sanchez suddenly had a 45 second gap with about 10 kilometers to go. Um, and Roglic, with that phenomenally powerful Jumbo Visma team that they've taken to the Italian races, just played it so cool. He allowed um, Theo Gegenhardt and Salvatore Puccio, trying to set it up for Gianni Moscon, to do all the work to bring back Luis Leon Sanchez, which they did inside the final 700 metres, I have to say. And then Moscon felt duty-bound to counter-attack. Fulsang marked him. And so Moscon kind of gave up heart with that. And from nowhere, this flash of yellow just appeared. And Roglic just unleashed this phenomenal turn of speed and rode away from everybody in the race. And within the last 300 metres, his margin of victory was absolutely enormous. Um, so you say confirmation of his form. I mean, it's incredible the way he's held his form all the way through the year from the UAE Tour through to the Giro d'Italia, into the Vuelta, and now here in Italy. He's been, I think in many people's eyes, he's been the, the rider of 2019, which is, which is saying something, really. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's very much, uh, uh, it's, well, I hesitate to say this, but because it has been a great season for him, but it almost serves as a gateway to next year when I think even bigger things are expected of him. And by finishing <laughs> off the year like this, it really is showing that, well, the, there is no limit. And I think that's going to be very exciting for all of us. But before, I just want to go back to something, Ned, because going back to that incident, because it's one of the most cycling things ever. And on one of the main <laughs> cy- cycling websites, I, this just, I love this. The, the headline for the incident was, Riders left angry and amused after going wrong way in <laughs> Trevally Veracini. And you think, you think, guys, can't you even get, just, just get just a bit of solidarity either be angry or amused but it's like, this helps nobody it's like so it's so good and it's that's why just this sums sport up is so good it's why this sport is so good david that you can't help but be amused i think that's i think it's great i love it i love it oh, um anyway. yeah so there you go so anyway you mentioned it earlier david but milano torino the next one just got underway Um, and as things stand, David, well, there's a long way to go to the finish. We will, in a kind of weird podcasty way, bring you the finish a little bit later. But there's a couple of hours of racing still to go. Uh, five guys up the road, including including Joey Roscoff and uh, the brilliant Remy Cavagna. Remember him from the Vuelta, the Frenchman from um, De Koenig Quickstep. Uh, but they'll be reeled in because in within the peloton, some big hitters are there. Um, this is a race that finishes, don't forget, up the Superga climb. They go up it twice. It's pan flat until they get to there. Up the Superga climb with about 20 kilometres to go, round in a loop, and then up it again with about five kilometres to go. Um, but you've got Jakob Fulsang, Philippe Gilbert, James Knox, Sergio Iguita, David Godu, Adam Yates, Alejandro Valverde, Mikel Lander, Carlos Betancourt, Egan Bernal, Eddie Dunbar, Ivan Souza, Warren Bargil, Rafa Maika, to name but a few and uh, um also Mads Pedersen wearing his rainbow bands for the first time 
Yeah, it's uh, it is a pedigree field, and by with that angry and amusing incident a couple of days ago, uh, one of the riders who was showing form was Dan Martin, and he's somebody who is in this race. This is a race that that is perfect. Uh, it's a perfect finish for him, and it also does mean that it's going to give him the confidence for Lombardia because. Uh, to be perfectly frank, I think Dan Martin is looking to save his season. Not that he'd ever treat these races as with that sort of attitude, because often he's come to this week of racing, and it's been where he's got some of his biggest results, and it's where we first saw he was capable of performing in a classic in Lombardia before he, he had his win in Liège. But yep. uh, I think this year in particular, this week means more than anything to him. Gotcha. I, I, I just one note of caution to that. I don't think he's in the race, <laughs> not in this oh, one well, anyway. A, uh, but but well, that's def- one of the things. But I mean, in the, seeing the, the races before, and if he's not in it, that's, that goes to show that he has got the condition. Um, yeah. Because he's this is the, the week that that really does kind of yep. dominate his his season in many ways. Yeah. Um, David, since this is our podcast, um, we can uh, we can digress, can't we? And, and, and t- we in, can. Entirely to our own agenda. So all I wanted to say is um, coming up still in this podcast, we'll bring you the result of Milano Torino and the last uh, couple of hundred meters. We'll have a little natter about uh, the big transfer news. That's still to come. Uh, plus, I've got an interview with a French rider who has just yesterday raced his last ever Uh, race and we talk about guess what astrophysics so that's all to come but first off um just a quick word about chapter three and what what you're up to there with your with your brand david yeah it's uh i wanted to explain a bit as well why why you and i started this this podcast it was a a vehicle for us to to keep talking about bike racing outside of our our tv work but it was also an opportunity for us to to not be constrained, let's say, by by certain limitations that you often are when you're doing TV, etc. Because obviously, a lot of what you and I do is is the majority of our life are are our own projects, and and mine is Chapter Three. It's uh, it's the the company and brand that I created when I stopped bike racing, and it's it's become a, a really wonderful project although extremely challenging because I finished my cycling career and, and uh, th- was started to go down the, the classic path if you, you like although I thought I was doing it differently I went to my old partners and asked if they wanted to to keep working together but but make products for for a non-racing world uh, but I didn't want to use my name so we came up with the name chapter three because everybody kept asking what's the next chapter and at the time it felt like the third chapter because my career had been split in two but actually what it's turned into over the years, I've realized that creating a brand is, is one of the, is a very, very difficult thing to do. But then also behind the brand, it's understanding the business, knowing what, what's the type of company you, you need to construct in order to, to, to run that business. And then beyond all that, the, the brand has been growing. And Chapter 3 now has become something that, that is very much, I've learned, that isn't just about me and my career, post-career. I'm finding that the more I travel around and, and bump into people, so many people that are that are going to the next chapter of their lives, and and also using cycling, running, sport, and and we we hear over and over again these days the, the kind of the concept of well-being and headspace and and mental health, which are that they they all essentially come down to the same thing: us be able to to spend time to find ourselves and and that's something that we in this modern world we have less and less time to do and and oddly i found that cycling is is what offers that to so many people it's also running it can be yoga it can be meditation 
and for me it's it's been this chapter three voyage has has really taken me to to look at things differently because when you've been a professional cyclist like I was for nearly two decades you get very locked into a place where cycling is just one thing uh, and it it does become a job uh, and it's I know a lot of people always are quite disappointed when they hear pro cyclists say well it's my job uh, because and I couldn't really empathize with that because I thought well you don't understand I didn't actually realize that for them cycling was something completely different that it was an escape there was a it offered them a third space outside of their their family life and their, their work life which would take up the majority of the time and the only time they could get time on on their own or with their friends was was when they were cycling and so I'm finding that chapter three now is something I really want to take the the brand down that direction where we become the the company that can the business the brands that can create the products that that can deliver the, the and satisfy the needs for what you want to do and be that in any type of cycling now I'd say we're still in the early days of that but at the moment this podcast and it will go off in two different ways with with yours with the road book um which is what this podcast is is very, very much the racing side of things and obviously never strays too far might go into astrophysics etc but uh <laughs> in a few weeks a few weeks i'd like to start the second series of podcasts under the never stray strays far brackets a channel if you like called the next chapter where i start to where i start to interview oh race commentary um yeah and i uh I want to start doing these interviews with people who have been guiding me over the last few years because I, I, I was going to a lot of people asking for their, their advice. And often when you ask for advice, you end up learning about that person's story and how they built their company, business, brand, or just their opinions on, on sports, etc. I thought, well, actually, these are really great conversations that I think uh, I, I'd like to share. And so I'm, I'm starting to go back to different people and ask them if they do it again, but we'll record it. And so far, I've spoken to Paul Smith, um, Phil Gilbert, who's the head of design at IBM, and have a few more lined up. So they're people that you wouldn't necessarily think are uh, cycl- from the cycling world or within our world, and yet there's so much that ties us together, and primarily uh, cycling and this idea of the kind of what what cycling is to them. So yeah, so that's where, where I am with Chapter Three. It's it's building this this brand that I hope will will grow with me and grow with the sport and and with how we're all seeing it these days. And I hope that this podcast will allow us to, to do our different directions, just as I do with Chapter 3, like you're doing with this yeah. one and the roadbook. And I think if you, coming from that's my Chapter 3 side of things, and I think it'd be interesting for people to hear from your side what the roadbook side of things is. Well, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, although you can never underestimate, um, underestimate how difficult it is to get the message out because we've been around for a year now, but the roadbook is um, has made its mark in you know, record time really it's from a standing start on the on the cycling world a little bit, and I'm still enormous. In fact, I'm probably more proud of it this this time around than I was last year when we brought out our first ever edition. David, we're just putting the finishing touches to the 2019 roadbook. Um, it's going to have to go to press very very quickly. We've got the tour, de, uh, the tour, uh, the what's it called, Guangxi, which is the last World Tour race. Then we hit print, and uh, it's printed in the United Kingdom on high-quality paper, and it's a couple of weeks later, it exists physically, and it is 900 pages long, and um, it's, it's going to be an absolute beauty. So we're co- collecting all the writing that's come in, a fantastic profile of Julien Alaphilippe, his background ri- written by Philippe Auclair. Paul Fournel has written a poem for us. Um, we've got a piece breaking down the data of Mathieu van der Poel's win in Amstel Gold uh, by Michael Hutchinson. 
Um, we have got this, that, and the other. Matt Rendell has written a wonderful piece about Colombia and Egan Bernal's victory and how that means. But we've also had contributions from Richard Carapaz, uh, from Philippe Gilbert, <coughs> and from Annemiek van Vluten, amongst others. Orla Shenwi as well as uh, written for us about uh, the the two director sportives, uh, Ina Tutenberg and Georgia Bronzini, who are breaking down barriers in the women's peloton. Anyway, so that's it. I'm, I'm really proud of it. And if you go onto our website, there are ways at the moment of ordering the 2018 edition, which still exists, the first one ever, um, at a, a reduced rate now. Or you can bundle it all up and pre-order the 2019 book. So go to theroadbook.co.uk. Um, I'll so, tell you what, Ned. Uh, yeah, I'll go tell on. You what, just before you end on yeah. that one, is that uh, I, we had this event last week here in Girona, um uh, with the, the, it was a chapter three event, uh, and some of our guests, part of what they received was a, a copy of the roadbook. Oh yeah, we sent and, some out, didn't we? And, yeah, that's yeah, right. and it, it went down a storm because I, good, I, they didn't realise that kind of the, the absolute is to describe to people as a tome, and within it you have every single big race of the year in there, beautifully graphically represented with the results, all different classifications, the weather on that day, and and it turns into this absolute oracle for that season and anybody who's well let's say uh it's a very english audience and a particular type of english audience that would understand wisdom which was this uh, book that, that still exists that is how many years has wisdom been going for now about 140 i think off the top of my head <laughs> so um, yeah, i may not be around to so, see that era of the road book yeah, yeah. And the wisdom is is the Bible of cricket. It's yeah. what everyone can go back to uh, 80 years, 20 years, two years, 140 years and see what was going on in that season of cricket. And that we don't really have in uh, in cycling. We have uh, the, all the online databases, but there's no real coherence to them. There's certainly no solidity or longevity to it. So I would recommend to anybody that having the, the copy, and it's one of those things where you'd want to eventually have your shelf full of them because they, they are beautiful things. And it's have like to reinforce your shelves. <laughs> Uh, it yeah, waste, you would have to reinforce your shelves. Well, thank you, David. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah no. just, 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 just to stress, it's not just the big races. Every single tiny race is represented as well and um, across the women's and the men's calendar, et cetera, et cetera. It's a, anyway, listen, I'm very proud of it, but um, there we go. David, David, um, yes. how about some transfer news? Should we do a bit of transfer news? I would love some transfer news because I don't know any of the transfer news, Ned. All right, let's have a bit of music and then we'll pick it up again. Okay, a whole bunch of transfers, David, are happening for 2020, and I think they're really interesting. I, there are a bunch more than this, but I've just picked out some really interesting names that I'm going to fling at you, right? And just so You can either okay. say, oh, well, that's an odd one, or yeah, that makes total sense, all right? Okay? Yep. Vincenzo and Antonio Nibali are moving to Trek Segafredo. This does make sense. I find it quite surprising. It's probably got a lot to do with their, their, they've got the, the Swiss-Italian boss, haven't they, or is he Italian? But it's uh, it's seeing Vincenzo Nibali go to an Anglophone team. That's mm. a great move for him because yeah. I think it sets him up for post career. But it's a it's a very courageous and confident move from Trek Segafredo to because he is in his twilight years. But it's Vincenzo Nibali. You never know. So I'd say it's a gamble for Trek. It's an absolute uh, level up for Vincenzo Nibali. Yes, indeed. Dan Martin is going to the Israel Cycling Academy, who are going to be world tour next year, one way or another. Um, so he's going to obviously spearhead their GC ambitions because he's kind of shared leadership a little bit with Fabio Aru and, of course, Pogacar at UAE, hasn't he? So he's moving on again. 
Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. So Cycling Academy has been based around Girona for a while, so it's probably been bumping into people. And obviously, I think per... I think it's a type of rider that that can doesn't really necessarily need a team around him. Uh, so yeah, that that makes total sense. It's probably the same reasons you went to UAE. It's quite fine just going to a team that satisfies the kind of contractual needs and and doesn't need much of a team around him. Do you know what I think is interesting though? The team he's left UAE have still got Pogaccia, and I think that they can probably start slowly giving up on Fabiaru on the evidence of everything we've seen. But they've got Pogaccia, and a, and they have signed the following riders. David de la Cruz, Joe Dombrowski and David A. Formolo. And that looks to me like a, a kind of slightly watered down version of Empire Building, a little bit like Jumbo Visma are doing as well. Because those three riders in support of Pogaccia, suddenly that becomes pretty serious, I think. Yeah, that is interesting. It's something we haven't seen from UAE up to date. And perhaps what they were doing is, uh, was they were pick... They often, let's not forget, they're a new team. You just cherry pick some big names in order to kind of get some status for the team. And and you know not all of them are going to work. And then they've just hit jackpot. And the one that works is the one that probably everybody in cycling wants. So there would be absolutely ridic- it would be absolutely ridiculous for them not to reinforce and, and make sure that he's set up for the future. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, that. And another team who, you know, based out in the Middle East with all that money. We've got Rod Ellingworth now, haven't they? They've got Mark Cavendish as well. Uh, but in terms of their GC ambitions, Wout Pools and Mikel Lander going to Bahrain. Well, they're going to be Bahrain-McLaren, we understand, next year. Um, so they're, they're, that would be just very interesting to see what they're able to do. Well, I tell you what, the most interesting thing about that is the fact that Rod Ellingworth is now taking over the reins as, as performance director, if you like. So he's becoming, he's uh, he's he's taken the gamble of uh, un, unshackling himself, perhaps if, if want of a better term, from the team Ineos machine and Brailsford, uh, etc. Because he was obviously brought up under that system. This is going to be a huge test for him. And he is going in there now as number one. And that does mean he's taking a lot of the know-how and a lot of this, the, the, the things that he brought to Team Sky, Team Ineos, the British team before that, he's now going to be taken to Bahrain McLaren. And I'm very curious to see what happens there. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I'm going to chuck just a couple more. And they're slightly more random, less, less GC-ish at you. Um, Nathan Haas is going to Cofidis. I quite like the sound of that. Because I think it, it guarantees yeah. him, it kind of guarantees him a place on the Tour de France, doesn't it? And he's been frustrated in that regard the last couple of years. Yeah, and he's always uh, been a bit of a francophone. I, I think it, I always remember it was, I was always surprised that for an Australian, he spoke no, Australian of his generation spoke uh, good French, and perhaps it's been something he's been pining for for a while. And to see Cofidis, they're definitely they're having a big shift next year, and obviously that's Nathan is part of that that sh- part of an important part of that shift at a cultural yeah. level as well. Yeah, yeah. Guillaume Martin also is going to coffee this. And, and finally, let's leave you this one. Magnus Court is going to EF Education first. And that uh, kind of raised a few eyebrows with me. But the um, more I think about it, the more I think that could work for both. Yeah, I'd say he's he's very much a, an EF rider, actually. He's kind of got that free spirit. He seems to be a pretty cool guy. Uh, he's definitely an interesting bike racer, yet to be totally defined. Um, but yeah, I think EF would be perfect for him. Yeah. All right, let's bring you up to date. What's happening in Milano, uh, Torino? 43.8 kilometres to go. Those five riders I mentioned are three minutes and 27 up the road. Ineos are working on the front for Leonardo. Well, Leonardo Basso is doing the work on the front. Uh, they're sharing it with Border Hansgrohe, who've got one rider, and Movistar, who've been riding very hard all day for um, Alejandro Valverde, I would imagine, on today's finish. It would suit him down to the ground. But the peloton has things totally 
under control. Now, David, uh, I think it's time for a bit of astrophysics via um, the, the, the slightly tenuous route of Johan Bagot. Uh, Johan uh, Bagot, ha- if you've been following the sport over the last few years, has been riding for, well, he spent eight years at Cofidis in total. And then the last couple of years, he has been riding for um, Vital Concept. He is uh, the son of Jean-Claude Bagot. Don't know if that name means anything to you, David. You're a good historian uh, of the sport, but it's pretty obscure. No, unfortunately not. No? Unf- no, unfortunately not. It does <laughs> ring a bell, but like literally just more of a little tinkle. Uh, okay, the tinkle is uh, 1987. He won a stage of the Giro, amongst other things. Um, and Johan has grown up in, um, even though he's got a, a name that uh, hails from Normandy, that region of France, he actually grew up in Salon de Provence, which is the home of the Patrouille de France, isn't it? The French Red Arrows. Do you, do you remember we saw that? I think uh, it was the day yes. Edouard Bosenhagen won a couple of years ago into Salon de Provence, and uh, we spent That's all right. evening watching them circle over the finish line. It was absolutely amazing. Um, Johan, though, uh, his greatest achievement was in 2013. He won a stage of the Tour of Turkey on the big mountain to Selçuk. Um, I say won it. He actually finished second on the day. But the guy who won the won that stage and then went on to win the overall in 2013, Mustafa Saya, tested positive and was stripped of his achievements. So the win goes to Johan Bagol. Other than that, though, he's been a loyal domestique for a decade. Uh, he has stopped racing now and he's going on. I should say this because he very patiently did an interview with me and spoke about this at length. And uh, it's very important to him. He has founded, along with some colleagues, a wonderful website and app called Bike and Connect. A bike mm, connect, uh, you can find it, I'm sure, uh, which links up um, people who are organising rides or races or training camps on an amateur basis with people who want to sign up. So it's primarily, I think, for the French audience, but it's a really good looking website with all sorts of different avenues for people to get involved and link up and also geolocate their rides so that they can um, hook up with um, cycling cafes in the neighbourhood and bike shops if they need mechanical help and all that sort of thing. So Bike and Connect is his commercial venture. But I wanted to speak to him about what else he's got in mind and what has interested him down the years, including astrophysics. Anyway, I caught up with him uh, this morning, actually, um, just after he finished his last ever bike race. My last race uh, was uh, yesterday in Belgique. In the, uh, how do you say it? Banche. Banche, yeah. Yes. Uh, was it but, okay? Uh, for, me, for me, it was... Just uh, bench Chimé. <laughs> <laughs> I stop in Chimé. <laughs> DNF, DNF. Okay. Well, um, many congratulations on your career anyway. How does it feel now that you're finished? Must be strange. Oh, yes, it's strange. But uh, uh, my, uh, con- my, um, my leg was no good uh, last uh, this year. And I'm very happy to stop. Uh, <laughs> to stop. <laughs> Your team, Vital Concept, they um, they made a tweet about your retirement. They were wishing you luck in your retirement, and they said that you will have your head in the stars. <laughs> oh. what, what what were they talking about? Uh, um, when he, uh, my team, when uh, he parle d'astronomy, oui, c'est ça. Ah, oui, oui, oui. yes, uh, I like this uh, since many times when I was child. I, I love science and astronomy was enfin, astrophysics. It's my uh, I love this. Um, I am fan of uh, Stephen Hawking. 
I uh-huh. have seen all. I have read all this uh, all these books. I have read many, 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 uh, many books about uh, astrophysics, astronomy, and wow, it's okay, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> no, fine, but uh, Stephen Hawking was very, very good because uh, his uh, books are very um, uh, vulgarized in English. What is the, the name? Vulgarization, the, scientific what, vulgarization. I, th- I think it means po- popular. Yeah, they're, they're they're easy easy for people to understand. Yes, yes. So they're not too, yeah, I mean, they're still quite difficult, I have to say, quite difficult, but um, it's complicated stuff. What's, um, what do you like most in, in, in astrophysics and astronomy? Are you interested in the planets or the stars or maybe the really small stuff like dark matter and stuff like that? For, for me, uh, my, uh, I want to, to understand all the... Uh, uh, I want to understand the, the universe. For living in this world, uh, I want to, to understand all. Yeah. You understand? And uh, when I uh, when I um, I read book and uh, all, always I finish and I'm, uh, I I say, oh, we we don't know, we, we know never. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You understand? Yeah. And this... I finish. Uh, I say. Uh, we are, you are too small, too small, too small <laughs> compared to the universe. And uh, the, we live a, a very, very small time. I have one big question for you, Johan. Yes, okay. It's the biggest question, maybe. <laughs> um, do you believe in God? Ah, yes. Oh, ah, God, ah yes, it's a good question. It's I a have, very um, big one. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I have um, reflected, you understand? Reflected, yeah. Ah, I've reflected many, many times. And, yeah. Uh, for this, I have uh, I have uh, read all, all the religion. Yep. For try to understand. Uh-huh. And I have uh, seen many books too. Yep. And uh, my uh, best definition of God. Yes. Is is in the um, my uh, sentiment, what I think. In your feelings, yeah, yeah. Your yes, yeah. it's uh, the response of uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Stephen Hawking in the yep. last uh, last book. Okay, what does he say? In the last book, it's a <laughs> small, small question of the big, um, smaller, uh, smaller response of the big question. You, you see this uh, book? It's the last book of uh, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, I, 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 and, uh, I haven't he read speak it. about uh, God. He speak about God and he, he explain uh, God uh, exists or not exist. And this uh, response is uh, perfect for me. <laughs> You will read. <laughs> oh, so you don't have the answer. You're telling me I have to read the book to find out. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, it's not very long. Uh, maybe two or three, two or three pages uh, in the beginning of the read. <laughs> okay, I will, I will find that. That's but in it's his... uh, very, very long to explain for me, but this world are perfect for me. Oh, <laughs> Johan, amazing. And when, when you were... Because being a professional cyclist is a very very hard job yeah you you the racing is hard the training is hard and all those many hours and days on a bike riding did you have time to reflect to think about the universe and about god and about the planets and the stars when you were when you were on your bike yes uh, we we this 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 uh 
Yes, I I reflect uh, this in the bike. Yeah. When you do uh, five hours in the bike, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we have the time for for reflection. For thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just one last question, and it's not about um, astrophysics. It's about <laughs> si- it's about cycling. Um, the Tour de France this year. Um, was a, a really big story for France, for French cycling, with Thibaut Pinot yes. and, with, and with Julien Alaphilippe. Has things, do you feel like there is more interest now, again, in the Tour de France? And was it a big change in French cycling this year? I, um, yes, it was a big chance for the French, uh, for the French this year, and uh, Pinot uh, have a big problem. It's uh, it's very bad because it's very good uh, good people good people. Yeah. But but I think uh, it's like uh, but I think it's uh, it's not finished for him. And when the the planet was uh, aligné, you understand? The pla- les planètes sont alignées en français. Sont alignées. Sont alignées. Uh, aligned. Aligned. Yes. When the planets ah, yes, are the planets. aligned. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you will. Uh, he can win the, the Tour de France next Fantastic. next years or the or the future. And, and if 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 he don't want, it was not his destined. Exactly. We'll leave it at <laughs> that. It's not a problem. It's, we'll leave it at that. Johan, uh, je vous souhaite une une très belle retraite. Et, Merci. Uh, c'est c'est bien mérité et uh, <laughs> félicitations d'une uh, très belle carrière et bonne chance pour le futur. Thank you. <laughs> So the wonderful Johan Bago, uh, what a nice guy he is. And um, as I say, Bike and Connect is his commercial venture now. And uh, on the show notes, we will uh, put a little link to his website. But he was imploring me when I asked him the big question about whether or not God exists to look at the, um, the first chapter of Stephen Hawking's last book that he wrote, Brief Answers to Big Questions, in which Hawking reaches the conclusion uh, that there is no role for God um, in the universe. And, and the reason I think he comes to, I think the reason he comes to that conclusion is based on uh, quantum mechanics, which explains how subatomic particles behave in, in quantum studies. So you can see subatomic particles like protons and electrons seemingly appearing out of nowhere and they stick around for a while and then they disappear again to a completely different location. And that is how, that is how the Big Bang is explained. Um, he also talks about, uh, in terms of the Big Bang, uh, and now we kind of understand that it happened empirically. The evidence says that the universe simply popped into existence. It became out of it became out of nowhere, and before the Big Bang, there was no time. So, therefore, without time, you cannot. The possibility of a creator outside of time is logically inconsistent. So, Stephen Hawking. I'm afraid he reached the conclusion that there is no God and we are in a godless universe. What do you think about that, David? Well, I think uh, we all have our own gods, don't we? Or God. I think that's correct. I think you choose what you believe in and perhaps for Stephen Hawking and uh, for many, uh, their God is quantum mechanics. So, you know, you choose what you want to believe in and you find sense in that or, or in the case of quantum mechanics, you never find sense. But I think I'd rather believe in something, uh, even if it's... Uh, I'm not necessarily a religious person. I respect religion, I, but I also respect quantum mechanics, and neither of them I truly understand. But I'd like to think there is a purpose to everything. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I, I think it's a rather a destructive conclusion to reach in some ways, and that the uh, the God resides within, doesn't it, really? Um, anyway, what a nice guy Johan Bagel was. Um, terrific to talk to. And it is funny, isn't it, how we stumbled across all these 
these little connections. It's just it's coming remarkable. Out. I think we're, we're, it's just there below the surface. I think people do think about it a lot more than perhaps they admit, and it's uh, it's starting to, everyone's being a bit more empowered. What I, What is brilliant, as you said, with regards to Bagot, is this, this new generation of French riders uh, who are... Uh, Dare I say they're, they're quite intellectual. They're they're well educated. The the cycling career almost feels like they go into it knowing it's going to be only a part of their lives. Um, and whereas yeah. a mere twenty thirty years ago, French professional cyclists were working class and almost looked down upon within society. And yet, in the past twenty years, thirty years, we've seen this huge cultural shift in in French cycling. And 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 Bagot's a prime example of that. Yeah, absolutely, David. And, and it was really nice to hear the genuine warmth um, that he has got towards Thibaut Pinot, who's a, a rider he knows very well, obviously, and ha- how much faith that Bagot and the rest of the French cycling community have in Pinot actually you know, getting over the line and coming back after that huge disappointment this year and actually challenging properly for the Tour de France. Having said that, having said that, and we don't know what's going to happen yet in the end of Milano-Torino, let alone Lombardia. But, David, I have, you know, I won a bit of money online when I backed uh, Pogaccia to get on the podium at the Vuelta. You remember that? I was quite pleased with myself. Unprecedented, Ned. It was amazing. (laughs) You actually managed to predict something. I picked a, (laughs) a winner of sorts. But I have taken my winnings and I've stuck them all on an outright winner for the Tour de France for next year, a certain Primoz Roglic. And I got six <laughs> I got six to one, and I'm pretty pleased with that. Whoa, that's yeah. pretty mad. Yeah. Because huh. he's got to be all... Who would winning a... I, I mean, I mean, I'm not saying it's not one of your craziest bets, <laughs> but, it's, but it's definitely good odds. It's definitely quite good, good odds, aren't they? I mean, we don't know, we don't know obviously, yet which race he's going to go to, but surely now it's, it's the Tour de France, isn't it? And... Um, you know, Dumoulin du- might be there as well. And the <laughs> there, mic- there's, yeah. I just thought, there's the caveat. What? We don't actually know if he's going to go to the Tour de France. <laughs> well, hence, I think that's the reason why he's 6-1, to one, because we've no idea whether he's going to turn up at the start line. <laughs> oh, it's oh, it's what's called that. an anti-post bet. But uh, there we go, anyway. Um, Details. Just as Dumoulin, uh, just also, just to probably, if you made that bet in the last couple of days, also it's just uh, at the point where Dumoulin's announcing that he's focusing yeah. on the Tour de France and the Olympics next year. He did, His teammate. He said, he said that. But but the problem is, I think they might, I think you, you've you talked about it in the past, David. You said, ooh, Jumbo Visma are going to try and out Ineos Ineos, right? Yeah, And true. And the way you do that, I mean, Ineos are going to turn up with seven Grand Tour winners, aren't they, in their, in their eight-man lineup? <laughs> And I think I think Jumbo Visma might try and do the same. It's going to be like um, they're going to kind of like outgun each other. And I think Roglic and Dumoulin will both be at the Tour de France. And if that's the case, I think Roglic is a stronger proposition than Tom Dumoulin to win the race. There you go. Well, brilliant. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Throwed my money away, haven't I? <laughs> well, well, we'll see. Oh, uh, yeah. Very good. Okay, I'm glad you've got yourself a um, in- a Eurosport subscription now. And you can yeah, I'm watching. Watch I'm Chris watching. I'm good. watching right now. I'm watching the break. It's well, uh, 37 k's to go. 37 k's. 37 k's to go. The break is rotating well. I've got a UAE guy here. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's uh, it, as you said. It is one of the fastest classics. Cause it, let's not forget about Milan Turin as well. This this finish is is relatively new because in the old days the the Milan Turin was had a very unique finish to it. Do you know what that was, Ned? It finished in a velodrome. 
Yeah, so it was only Paris-Roubaix and Milan-Turin of the modern classics have finished in the velodrome, whereas back in the day that used to be quite a, a common occurrence because there were just so many velodromes everywhere. But Get in. I'm so it. pleased. I'm so pleased I got that right because I said that to Rendell the other day and he didn't yeah. know that and he doubted me and I suddenly, therefore, I doubted myself. But it finished. I can't, rem- I can't remember the name of the wow. velodrome, but it's all tumbled down oh, and yeah. falling apart now. Anyway. Uh, I, actually, it's a velodrome Humbert. Humbert. What Is a it? great name. Okay. Yeah, King King Humber the first of the Savoy. Savoy. Okay. But yeah. um, but yeah, no, no, because that was because. But what was interesting about it is you'd come over. You would have a big punchy climb before that would be very fast all day punchy climb. Then you drop down and finish in the velodrome. And I did that in I think two thousand and three, and it's the only time I did the race. And I didn't really have much velodrome experience uh, doing a sprint. <laughs> but you come down with generally a bunch of climbers or classics riders who had no idea how to do a sprint <laughs> on a velodrome. And it turned into an absolute <laughs> comedy of errors. Yeah, so that's what Milan Turin used to be quite unique. <laughs> but that's the but yeah, amazing thing. Now. David, that's the amazing thing about Gilbert, isn't it? That he had yeah. never, up until when he won Paris-Roubaix uh, this year, he had never sprinted in a, on a track before. Never, not once. It's, a, it's amazing. But that turns just goes to show. That's why it's a out true quite champion, isn't it? They're, yeah. they're just adaptable to those situations. So, yeah. 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 All yeah. right. But yeah, okay. I shall speak to you anon, David. Anon, Ned. And after this little bit of music, I'll tell you, in a shouty fashion, who the winner of Milan Torino is. They're well into the barrier section. The finishing line is within touching distance. Just 200 metres to go for Michael Woods now. Godou is beaten. Adam Yates would now. He's going to have to settle for a podium place here. Just for no time or anything. But now relegated at the moment to fifth place on the road. And Michael Woods has beaten Alejandro Alberti. Although one last push from the Spaniard. Valverde now trying to get onto uh, the wheel of Michael Woods. As Adam Yates rounds the final corner. Valverde is now there. And he's on his wheel. But he's left it too late. And Michael Woods takes the win. Valverde in second place and Adam Yates crossing the line disappointed in third Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby It's me, Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 